0: Hello and welcome to Million Dollar Monday. I'm your host, Greg Mazzello, bringing you real successful people with real useful advice for people with big dreams. I understand big dreams. I turned an investment of $200 and a lot of great advice from some really successful people into my big dream, Proforma, that today is a half billion dollar company. Well, hello and welcome. I'm energized by my guest today, who is an author, an entrepreneur, a coach, a speaker, who focuses on helping people achieve their highest and best by staying in what he calls their genius zones. And we're gonna be talking a lot more about that real soon. He has spent the last 20 years in investment banking, private equity, and entrepreneurship. Today he is the co-founder of a company called Strike Services an outsourced accounting and strategic finance firm. But most importantly, at least as it relates as our time together today, he is the author of a newly published book, One Life to Lead. It's a book about leadership, but not a book about how to lead others, but rather a book about how to lead yourself. I'm excited to welcome Russell Benaroya. Russell, thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, Greg, such a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it. Let's rock and roll.
0: Yeah, same here. All right. Well, I love to start at the beginning. I love to just hear the growing up story. You know, uh, what were the circumstances of your education and your life and your family, et cetera? What led you to wanting to become an entrepreneur? Um, And then we're also going to want to talk about what led you to write the book, What Life to Lead.
1: Thanks for asking. I grew up privileged. I grew up privileged in Seattle, Washington. Uh, my grandfather uh, was the original entrepreneur that I can trace. He moved to Seattle and he he started a beer distributorship uh, right after Prohibition. And he grew that business. And then my father took over that business. And operated for major beer brands throughout the Pacific Northwest. So I watched my dad growing up as a extremely hardworking entrepreneur. And I moved to California for college. So I did my undergrad at UC Santa Barbara. And while I was in college, I got the bug to work in New York City. Uh, I spent some years there. I then moved back to California and uh, got an opportunity to work in in venture capital for a number of years. I went to business school. I was sort of doing all of these right things that my parents were like, yes. Uh, But there was something missing in my life. And in 2004, I thought to myself, am I going to sit behind the desk And make decisions about what to invest in or not invest in in other people's businesses when I haven't actually built something myself. And I have all of these dreams and aspirations to create. And and ultimately, I leapt to create.
0: What led you to start uh, Stride Services? Tell us just a little bit about what that company does
1: stride is my third venture so i started and subsequently sold two other two healthcare businesses before what ultimately became an acquisition of what is today stride so about three years ago my business partner eric page and i acquired this 15 year old back office bookkeeping and accounting firm and i don't want to belabor the story of stride other than to say it really was the vehicle for us to help entrepreneurs achieve their highest and best use by providing a service for them that took over some of the things that they don't really like to do, like bookkeeping, accounting, and finance, so that they could focus on what it is they set out to do when they started the business. So it was almost like a Trojan horse of guidance and coaching. And today we serve about 100 clients around the United States with a team of 40 employees.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you and I share a, a common philosophy. I teach that all time's not created equal. Everything on your to-do list isn't created equal. There's some stuff that's $35 an hour work. And, and and I tell people, if you can hire somebody for $35 an hour, not to say what your fees are, get rid of that work. Because the wealth building work is the work that you need to focus on, or you could just sort of get stuck forever so you and I I share that philosophy um, freeing people up to do what they should and could be doing best uh, to grow their success right
1: I'm as worth for an entrepreneur I would argue that your time is worth about a thousand dollars an hour so unless yes. you're unless you're creating a thousand dollars of the equity value in the thing that you're doing get get it S- off.
0: stop doing it exactly. It always amazes me how some people really can't. I think maybe at the end of the day, it's come down to delegate. Like even though they know they're doing things that can't make them rich, I think they struggle to trust or to delegate that other people can do these things even better than they can.
1: 100%. And there's some fear in delegation. Sometimes you don't even know how to delegate. It is a muscle that needs to be flexed. It is not an instinct. For many people, you have to practice a delegation. So
0: now let's talk about, and I I am really looking forward to hearing more. I've love what I've read. Uh your book, One Life to Lead. I love and I love reading books about leadership, especially John Maxwell. Um, and and he's such a genius in leadership. But I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about, and I agree with you, you can't lead others until you know how, how to lead yourself. So what led to your writing the book?
1: Ultimately, the realization that how I was leading my life paralleled in a lot of ways how I was leading my business. How you lead your life is how you lead your business. You come to it with all of the behaviors and patterns and dysfunction and function uh, for, for what you bring to the party. And it's really hard. it's hard for me in the eye of the storm, in the eye of the moment to truly step back and observe how I was contributing to some of the challenges, dysfunction, and obstacles that I was facing. In 2016, my wife and I are driving back with our small children in the back of our car from a trip in Oregon at a place Mm -hmm. called Mount Bachelor. And we're driving through a snowy storm and we're listening to some Tony Robbins podcast. And the podcast was titled Three Steps to a Breakthrough. And I'm motivated and I'm energized and my wife's eyes may be rolling a little bit sitting next to me, but he said something that triggered a thought. And the thought was this, I turned down the radio stereo. I say to my wife, Melissa, I said, Melissa, yeah. Why haven't we ever talked about where we want to be in five to 10 years? Kind of in a critical tone, like as if it were her fault, not mine. And (laughs) thank you. And she said so beautifully, Uh at least my story was, well, because it's never really been about us. It's always been about you. You are the entrepreneur. We have followed you on all of these adventures. And that's kind of what it's been about. And that began a journey for me to decide whether or not the life that I was going to create was a life that was building a fence around the two of us and the centralness of our relationship, or we were going to kind of build our own individual fences. We decided to build the fence around the two of us. Mm -hmm. And there there was something very energizing when we talked about our dreams and our passions around creating an abroad experience for our family that we had wanted to do since our kids were little, but it was like life gets in the way and you can't do it until we had a friend that kept pressing us and pressing us and saying, hey, if that's the thing that really drives your connection to each other, go for it. Make it happen. That month on the cover of National Geographic titled The Happiest Places on Earth, Costa Rica was on the cover. My wife and I looked at each other and said, you know what? Let's go for it. Yeah. And And we ended up taking our kids, moving to Costa Rica, living in San Jose. So we lived in the capital in an urban environment. We studied language. I bought Stride while I was still living there. And we created a life together abroad. And when we were there, Mm. that is when I finally stopped and stepped back and said, huh, I've got a lot going on inside my body around what has transpired over the last fifteen years as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I've got to start getting this on paper, not what happened, but why it happened and what I felt and where I had obstacles. That began the writing journey that ultimately led to the publishing of the book, and of course, it takes twists and turns, of course, but we got yeah, it yeah. done
0: all right, so a better life design. Tell us about that because it's simple words, but I think it's a complicated thought and process.
1: What I realized is that, uh, this is not a, this is not the Russell Benaroya journey. I think many, most business leaders, uh, Put on their suit of armor every day, and they show up like bulletproof, ready to take on the world. But when you unlock that armor, there's a level of vulnerability that sits beneath, that sits underneath. And I had the opportunity in the book to interview, actually, one of your guests recently was in, is in the book, David Nielsen, to okay. interview to interview entrepreneurs that were willing to share facets of how they made decisions in accordance with their life principles and how they managed their business. And it really came down to five themes for me. So one key theme of building a life design is grounding stories with facts. We live in a world where we got a lot of crazy in our heads. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of crazy. We spend a lot of time looking back at the things that didn't happen or we should have done or blaming people for X, or we look forward to the things that haven't happened yet because this is our obstacle and that thing, and we spin up. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm told that we have 60,000 thoughts a day. That's yes. out of control unless you get control of it, right?
1: Right. And most of them are just made up that have nothing to do with the facts of the situation. So one is awareness around, is this a fact or is this a story? Number one. Number two is establishing your principles. Meaning if you move throughout life without a set of non-negotiables for how you interact with people or make decisions, do business deals you become subject to the goals, whims, and wants of other people. Absolutely, Where where are your principles, right? So establish your principles, number two. Number three is what I call harness energy from the environment. Harness energy from the environment says something like this. If we have 100 units of energy to expend a day, we're going to use the units available to, neutralize our energy drains first before we're invested in our energy gains and energy gains are where do I get energy around certain people or where do I get energy around certain environments like be mm-hmm. be honest about that what gives you energy and what drains your energy uh, right. number four is get and stay in your zone of genius now Gay Hendrix was really Gay, Gay Hendrix. Uh, and Lex Sisney were really the original architects of this concept of genius zone. And it really has made an impact on me. The awareness that there are things that I do in my life where I lose track of time. There are things that I do where I feel alive. There are things that I do where people acknowledge, holy smokes, Russell, you are good at that. Why? What do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just what I do. And we all have it.
0: We all do, yeah.
1: We all have it, but we probably spend about 15% of our time in it. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. If we're lucky.
0: Yeah.
1: If we're lucky. And then the fifth, and maybe it's the most obvious, but sometimes the most hard to affect, and that is execution. Take action. Living in a world of experiments and trying things and having the courage to know that you're going to land on your feet like we did when we moved to Costa Rica, building a plan and executing a plan. You can talk all day long, but if you don't execute an act, you're never gonna learn. So those are really the five principles of life design that are embedded in the book, include a bunch of exercises to help individuals connect with their own styles around these steps. And to start getting in a place where you are the architect of a life designed by you versus a life happening to you. So
0: I know you spoke uh, in the development of your book with many designers whose, whose stories you, you build on and and, and, um, and you even mentioned about grounding their stories in facts, et cetera. I find, and I wonder if you found other people, my genius zone really shows up when I'm under time pressure. And I don't know why, like uh, if I have to make a presentation um, in three months, I'm not very motivated or energized around it yet. But if you get me two weeks away from the event and the people in our marketing department saying, Greg, I need to get, I need to develop the PowerPoints. Where's your stuff? But man, I get in the zone as time starts coming closer to the event. Does that make any sense? And do I, are other people that way?
1: It makes complete sense. Um, I am that way. Uh-huh. And here's the here's the difference, or maybe it's the opportunity. When the event is three months out, Greg, I don't even want you thinking about it. I don't even want it in your orbit. I don't even want you considering it because it's a bit of an energy drain. It's like, oh, okay, I should I should probably be working on this thing, but I don't All have right. any energy around it. When you have a plan and your plan says two weeks before, that's when it's going to pop up in my list. Awesome.
0: Yeah. And like you said, when I start working on, whether it's a speech or a a presentation or uh, whatever it is, I forget what time it is. I forget when it's time to eat. I just so much love doing and creating those kinds of things.
1: Uh, But when it's time, when the time is right. That's good. Deep work. Focus. Because you know, it's important and you know, it's due soon. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So y- y- you also talk about ultra running. Are you a runner? Uh
1: yeah, I'm I'm a ultra trail runner and just okay. finished a 100 miler a few months ago. So I like Good for you. Yeah. suffering. I like I like suffering. Yeah.
0: <laughs> is that your alone time? Is that is that is that actually uh, therapeutic for you to spend that time?
1: Totally therapeutic yeah. when you are when you are Stripped down, when you are raw, metaphorically and literally, you learn a lot about yourself.
0: I, you have to, right? In in, in many ways, physically, mentally, spiritually, and otherwise.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, good for you. Yeah, sounds-
1: when, when, yeah when you're thirty hours or thirty five hours out on a trail, it's a lot of alone time.
0: Well, I admire that, and. Uh, I think it's something that I, I used to be a jogger, like, but six miles was a long jog for me. Now I I struggle to jog my memory, but uh, (laughs) it's all good. The gift of taking action. It's a wonder, it's wonderfully worded phrase. Talk to us about the gift of taking action.
1: It is absolutely fine to be scared of the unknown we it's okay. Like it's okay to be scared. And then you've got this junction and the junction is a path of fear or a path of courage. And thankfully we do have the opportunity to be scared because it triggers an opportunity to make a decision. Fear tends to retreat us back into what is known and comfortable and stable and courage Mm-hmm. gives us the opportunity to take the leap. And the the gift of action is that every action unfolds a new thing to learn or a new input that isn't to be judged, isn't necessarily to be fearful of, but is just another input to say, huh, I didn't expect that. yeah, yeah. yeah especially action in the
0: unknown when one moves beyond their comfort zone, Uh, waking up and repeating what one did yesterday isn't necessarily much of an adventure or a gift, but rather, I think a waste of time and a waste of life. I think I'm sure you would agree with me, not that we all don't have to wake up and repeat some things, but some people spend their whole life waking up and repeating and never really evaluating who they are, what they're about, what they wanted to live their life for. And, uh, Um, so I, I love that because it really is a gift to take action and massive action that maybe is even in outside of our comfort zone.
1: And I like defining it inside the context of the metaphor of a game. So this is all, this is all a game, right? We're just, we're playing, we're trying different things, but when you can define the game, okay, what game am I playing here? What When is it over? What does it mean to win the game? What is the desired outcome? What quarter am I in? What is the right play for where I'm at in the game? What is the best call I can make given the information that I have? And I'm going to stay focused on that game. Why? Because I know that next week, Um, There will be another game. I think very often we play three or four games ahead and we get nervous that if we don't win this game, we're not going to get to the Super Bowl. But why think about the Super Bowl when you just need to play this game? And if I'm worried about the Super Bowl, I might get nervous and not even play this game particularly well. Focus on the game at hand.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah focus on the now for sure. I completely agree with you. All right. I, I love the book. I would strongly recommend everybody pick it up because it's a different look at leadership and really you can't lead others until you know how to lead yourself and why you're even trying to lead yourself and where you're trying to lead yourself. And then, and only then can you really become a great leader of others. So, uh, one life to lead, great book. Let's close out. I'd love to close out uh, two things. Number one, I'd love to hear what stories from your designer, what one story inspired you the most? And then what closing thoughts do you have for our listeners?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a designer in the book, her name is Sarah Dusik, D-U-S-E-K. And Sarah started a company called Under Canvas. And it is one of the largest hospitality companies in the United States that operates uh, glamping locations in proximity to major national parks. Okay. Wow. Okay. And she she sold her company for like $100 million. Amazing. Great outcome. Like an Mm -hmm. accidental entrepreneur. She's so impressive. She shared a story that I appreciated so much, which went something like this. When we were trying to capitalize the business, I was, she was given a term sheet from an investor and the terms from the investor were really difficult and onerous. And and she was having a hard time agreeing to these terms, even though she really needed the capital to grow. And the feedback that she got from the investor was, that's just the way it is. If you want this deal, like this is the way it is. And she said, well, if that's the way it is, I'm not going to do that deal because I'm not going to sign up for something that is fundamentally undermining the principles of how I live my life and who I choose to work with. She chose not to take that term. She ended up getting another partner that was a great partner for her growth. But what I love so much about the story is that she had a principle Yeah, and she used the principle as the filter for making what is typically a hard decision that not everybody would make.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of filters, uh, and sometimes the filter of need and greed can sometimes override principles. And so, uh, good for her. I, I love that story, and it points out even more than ever why need people need to be in touch with their guiding principles. All right, what other advice? Would you have for our listeners,
1: Russell? <laughs> Other advice. You you made a great comment about three minutes ago when you said presence, uh, live in the moment. And I think the guidance, the greatest guidance I would give is when you find yourself exercised or anxious uh, or nervous, ask yourself is it about something that hasn't even happened yet? Like it's made up, but it's spinning me up. And if there's anything that we can do to keep ourselves stable as leaders, because everybody's looking at us, by the way, everybody's looking at their leader in their organization and looking at them as a role model, your ability to be stable in those high moments and those low moments sets the tone for the culture that's gonna drive your organization forward. And a lot of it is about being in the moment and present. No
0: no, no doubt about it. Russell, when you look back and I could say the same thing about when I take a look back at my business and life, I would say almost all of the things I worried about never happened, never came to pass. (laughs) There were a few things that did. And so being cautiously aware or ready for the moments but I don't know, 90% of the things I worried about never came to pass and so much wasted energy and frustration and moodiness and more. So it's great advice, Russell. Russell, I really enjoy the time that we had together. I encourage all of our listeners to pick up your book, One Life to Lead. And thank you very much for your time and wisdom, Russell.
1: Greg, it's a gift. Thank you. Have a great day. You too.